Good morning, church family. Good morning. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. I am so glad you decided to be with us today. This summer we've been talking about follow me. That's certainly not follow Trent. That is follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It's my hope that everything I personally say and do, everything we do as a church, all the time, uh, all throughout the week, especially on Sunday mornings, points you and the attention of your heart towards the Lord Jesus Christ and that we can glorify him together. That's why we gather together. I want to teach you over the next couple of weeks about the local church. Uh, so I'm calling this follow me to church. And again, it's not follow Trent to church. If you follow me to church, you're likely to get a speeding ticket, which has happened to me before. Uh, so I want you to follow the Lord Jesus uh, to church. And I believe the scriptures teach us some very encouraging things about that. I was reading a couple of weeks ago and I ran into a quote that has just stirred my spirit. Let me give you that quote. It's on the screen for you. This is also in your notes. And let me just preface this by saying I'm going to be kind of bouncing around. If you happen to have the WFR app, if you're watching online and you got the WFR app, you'll be able to follow along, take some notes, fill in some blanks. We do that so that you can just kind of remember what we're covering here, review it later in the week, and worship God not just on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday as well. I was reading a book a few weeks ago. And I came across this quote, not that I agree with everything Francis Chan says or, or, or not, but this particular quote has really stirred my spirit. He says this, there is no greater honor on earth than to be part of God's church. So I thought about a couple of things that really are honorable in our culture, like when I think, man, I want to achieve greatness or I want to be an honorable man, some of these things are things that I personally think of that are honorable in our culture. We talked about one over communion, the Medal of Honor. I think that's the highest natural honor we can bestow on an individual. That, that honor indicates that they sacrificed all for the freedom we enjoy in the United States of America. Unbelievable honor. That's an honor I would love to achieve. Uh, the Purple Heart is an award we give to veterans who have been injured in the line of combat, also defending the freedoms that you and I enjoy in the United States of America. Unbelievable honor, something that I feel like I would like to enjoy. I would like to have a Purple Heart. We got a guy in our midst. I was looking for him this morning, Mr. Kyle Smith, who's actually been awarded the Purple Heart. What an incredible honor. How about this? An Olympic gold medal. Now, those of you who know me know that I'm aspiring, never has been, athlete. Olympic gold medal, one of the highest honors we award men and women for their achievements athletically. Another honor would be the Nobel Peace Prize, the Pulitzer Prize in writing. Less prestigious than those I've just mentioned, but an Academy Award uh, in film or a Grammy Award in music Really highly esteemed honors in our culture. I'm a child of the 80s. Until I was about 19 years old, I really wanted to get an MTV Music Video Award. If you're a child of the 80s, you'll recognize the significance of that honor. 
I want you to pause for just a second. Our culture literally moves at like 100,000 miles an hour. Let's say I ran into you at the grocery store and I said, Hey, what is the thing in your life that you honor above everything else? If you're being honest with yourself, my guess is that the first thing that came to your mind would probably not be the fact that you are a member of the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want to give you a text from Second Chronicles 7. I want to try to encourage you with the great honor that you are sharing in by being a member of God's church. Second Chronicles 7 says this, When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, He is good. His love endures forever. Let me give you some context on this really quickly. It has been 480 years since the Israelites left Egypt. And they have not had a place to call their own. And this moment commemorates the building of the temple of the Lord. Finally, they had a place. And not just a place, but a place to worship God, to build this temple. This is in 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 3. There were 70,000. 70,000 individuals who carried materials from the place they were located to the temple. There were 80,000 stone cutters with 3,300 supervising officials and 30,000 laborers. It took Solomon years to build the temple, somewhere between 7 and 20 years. And when the temple is finished, the glory of God, listen to me, church, the glory of God literally descends on that place. And God's glory is so powerful and so majestic and so supernatural that the Israelites can't even go into the temple. All they can do is fall to their knees and stick their foreheads on the ground and Worship the Lord saying he is good. His love endures forever. Let me fast forward to the New Testament. This is Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus says this. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. Now listen to the, feel the atmosphere in the room right now. And if you're online, you maybe can't get this, but I just ask you if you're watching online to try to get a sense 
for the atmosphere of the room that you're in right now? Does the atmosphere we're in right now feel like the kind of atmosphere described in Chronicles when Solomon's temple is finished? And the glory of the Lord literally fills that place and people are so moved, all they can do is fall to their knees and worship God. Because today, the blood of Jesus Christ, if you've been baptized into Christ, literally flows through your veins. The same Spirit that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. And the glory of God that descended on the temple, now your body is a containment vessel for that same glory. You, yes you, wherever you're at in this auditorium or online, are now the dwelling place of the Most High. God, that's cause for rejoice. And so often, and so often, let me say this, if you're new here, you're watching online, when these guys clap, it's to give God glory. It's not because I've said something good, because I don't have much good in me, but God working through me can bring glory to himself. And that's what moves us to applause. We have become saturated, unfortunately, with the reality that you and I, think about this, are the dwelling place of the Most High God. That's not Trent saying that. That's the Lord Himself teaching us that truth. And if we're reading this in our morning Bible study, or, I, or, or when I first read this in church, our minds just pass over that. And, and if we're really going to live God's plan and purpose for His church, we have got to become awestruck once again by the majestic reality that we, you and I, by the grace of God through the power of the gospel, are being built together as the dwelling place for God Himself. There should be nothing that makes us feel more honor. There shouldn't be anything that we're more proud of. There shouldn't be anything that we want to brag about more. There shouldn't be anything that we're more excited about. There shouldn't be anything that we just can't get over. Like the truth that we are the dwelling place of God. Because the church is not the building. The church is the people in worship connected together to the Lord God. So what happens when we get together as the body of Christ, which is the church? I think there are four things that happen. The first thing is, and the subject of my lesson today is, that we get a mission to live. Not only do we get a mission to live as the church, you and I get examples to follow and we get a family we can love. Those are kind of related horizontally to one another. The last thing we get when the church gets together as the body of Christ is a place that we can just unapologetically celebrate. So there's a quote that's meant a lot to me about the mission we get to live out. I'm referencing this as having been originated with Mike Kellett. Here's the quote. That you and I must live out... As the church, we must live out the great commission in the spirit of the greatest commandment. You and I have to live out the great commission in the spirit of the greatest commandment. That 
is as simple of a phrasing to describe the mission of the church as I've ever heard. Now, Mike may say, oh, I got this from so-and-so. And I think that person would probably say, oh, I got that from so-and-so. And ultimately, where we get this is from God's word itself. In Matthew chapter 22, the Lord Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And so often today we can debate what's most important in church or what's most important about theology or who's got it right or who's really wrong or who really knows what they're talking about or who doesn't. And and the religious leaders of Jesus's day unfortunately have that same attitude. And so many of us have just not developed in maturity past that point. And so there is a moment our Lord Jesus is asked, what's the most important thing in all of this? And here's what he says in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. There's nothing more important than this. The second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In any mission, there are some critical factors that have to be accomplished if the mission is going to be successful. There's some things that are just non-negotiable, whether we're talking about, and lots of us are thinking in terms of D-Day, Memorial Day has recently passed, the anniversary for D-Day has recently passed. Lots of us are thinking on those terms. But I'm talking about any mission, regardless of its, its goal or directive, there are certain critical elements that have to be accomplished if the mission is going to be accomplished. And these, I want to share with you this morning three what I call mission-critical factors that we have to accomplish as a local body of believers joined together by the gospel if we're going to be successful living out this mission. The first and most important mission-critical factor if we're going to be successful living out the mission by the grace and the power of God is the love God factor. That's what Jesus said first. It's the most important thing. It's the most critical thing. You get this wrong. You cannot move forward. If the thing you are most proud of in life, if the thing that you want to brag on the most in life, if the thing you want to tell everybody most about in life is not the fact that God had a perfect sinless son who came to this world, lived a perfect life, and died for your redemption, was in the grave three days, rose again, and is coming back to redeem you. And because of that gospel, you are the dwelling place of the Most High God. If that's not it, you got, if that's not the most important thing in your life. You got to go back to mission critical factor number one and get this right before you can do anything else. Mission critical factor number one is to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. I want to suggest a couple of things on really how this works. The Bible teaches us, number one, that you can love God And grow in your love for God by knowing Him through experience and awareness of His presence in your daily life. I don't have this in the notes, but Psalm 19, 1 through 4 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of His hands. 
Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their their words to the ends of the world. When's the last time you just paused and you walked outside and you heard the Lord speak to you? For some of you, that may never have happened. You just may never have been taught that creation declares the glory and majesty of the Lord. For some of us, it's been long ago. We've had kids. We got mortgages. We got careers. We got crises. We got tribulations. We got trials. We just don't take the opportunity to hear from the Lord through the works of his hands. I encourage you to fall more deeply in love by knowing him through what he has created. The second thing I think you can do to really love God more is to become completely and totally, utterly satisfied in him. I want to take your mind to Matthew chapter 4. Our Lord Jesus has fasted for 40 days and is being tempted of the devil. And in one particular moment, Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, the devil takes him to a very high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And in verse 9, he tells Jesus, I will give all this to you if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Underlined and highlighted in my Bible is that first phrase of verse 9. All of this I will give to you. And in that moment, the, in, the enemy is working against Jesus' natural self. And no doubt in Jesus' mind were all the things in the natural world. And the enemy says, look, I'll give you anything in this. You've just got to worship me and not God. How many of us in that moment would have something come to mind that would be a compelling reason to change our loyalty or our allegiance? So often we're more satisfied by all of this than the Lord who created all of this. You have to check where your satisfaction really lies. You've got to go back to the truth that you are a dwelling place of the Most High God if you are a part of God's church. And that has to become the most satisfying thing in your life. You've got to be most satisfied by that. The second thing that I think is a mission-critical factor, once we master The loving God factor is the loving others factor. When Jesus is asked what's most important, he doesn't say certain theology, although that's very important. He doesn't say certain academic knowledge, although there's a utility in that. What he says is that we must love God, and then we've got to really love others. Two really important ways Jesus demonstrated that. The first, Jesus valued the needs of others more than his own comfort. Jesus valued the needs of others more than his own comfort. The Apostle Paul describes this really well, saying, you and I are to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. 
Consider that for just a moment. Not even one thing should we do out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Instead, in humility, we should value others above ourselves, not looking to our own interests, but instead to the interests of others. That is the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're really going to love others, there is no moment in time where we should be doing what is in our best interest. Wow. Ever. What a challenge that is to me. What a rebuke that is to me. Trent, there should never be a moment where you're doing what is in your best interest. Instead, in humility, you should value the needs and interests and hurts and habits and hang-ups and struggles of others. And you should do whatever you can to help the Lord God connect with those individuals in a way that meets their needs. That should be the way you love others. Not only that, but we've got to make sacrifices to serve others that cost us something of actual value. In Ephesians 4.12, you and I are told that we are equipped for those works of service. One of the biggest tools of the enemy is to bring to your mind your biggest failures and your biggest hang-ups. And to get you to think, I'm not equipped to be on mission as the church. Let me tell you two truths about that. The first is, and this may sound harsh, you are really not equipped. You are broken, sinful, and and infected with the toxic infection of the curse of sin in this world. That's the capital T truth about us. But an even more important truth and the biggest reality and the, we, and the reason we can continue to live on mission in hope with some courage and a little bravado even is because the Lord Jesus Christ has granted us victory already. It's not whether or not the mission will be successful. The reality is the mission will succeed. Jesus Christ is victorious and he's going to use broken messed up people who are inadequate and infuse them with grace and send his spirit to dwell in them. And by those broken, messed up people, he's going to gain glory by using you to be victorious in the mission that the Lord Jesus Christ has already won on the cross of Calvary. I've been meditating on 1 Corinthians 15 for a long time about that particular point, which says, thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, the victory is already won. Jesus doesn't say be on mission to his disciples in Matthew 28, which is what I'm about to read, in hopes that they accomplish the mission. So you've got to do the best you can, and when you're stressed out or feeling overwhelmed, or you're dealing with some inadequacy, you've got to tell yourself the truth. This mission is already won in Jesus' name by the power of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know how he's going to use me in my personal case, but I know that he is. I know that he'll be glorified, and I know that he's victorious. The last mission-critical fact that I want to share with you today 
is the share Jesus factor. Matthew 22, verse 18 through 20. Our guys just had that on the screen. Jesus comes to his disciples and says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's the share Jesus factor. I want to say a couple of things. The first is, that is why the mission of WFR Church, which is on your bulletin, that we are a church making disciples who love God, love others, and share Jesus. Those are the three mission critical factors of the church, which is not the building. It is you and it is me by the grace and power of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And I also want to mention that at WFR, we have been working on and are actively working on right now uh, what, what we're calling a rooted experience. And we had some family time in January where David and I talked about a discipleship pathway that God has been really powerfully dealing with our elders and our staff on developing all of our elders and staff have been through our rooted experience. Right now, we got a, pi- a couple of pilot groups going. I wanted to do this just to give you guys a visual. If you are currently participating in or someone you are either married to or that's in your family is participating in a rooted experience right now, would you raise your hand? Just raise your hand and keep it up. I'm currently in a rooted experience. Someone I love is in a rooted experience and is in my family is in a rooted experience. So these guys right now are all going through rooted experience, our rooted experience. It is a discipleship pathway that will allow you clearly, because here's what can happen sometimes in church. My intent on Sunday mornings is to draw your attention to the Lord Jesus Christ and to remind you that in him you are guaranteed victory. That's the core message of the gospel. And I want to inspire you and encourage you to live on mission. But the next really important question is, well, Trent, how in the world am I going to do that? And, and maybe you should talk to your neighbor. Should I uh, share Jesus with the lady I'm checking out with at Walmart, assuming you haven't lost your salvation before you get to her or him in the line? Um, yeah, all of that, all of that. But what we're trying to do better at WFR is mobilize you guys to work together to accomplish that mission and to give you some clarity and some direction. I want you to prepare for what God's going to do in you personally, in your rooted experience, and to prepare to do that with this church family. Lots of us are on mission. Sometimes it just feels like we're a little siloed. I'm sharing by myself. I'm doing Bible studies by myself or whatever. That's great. God bless you. It takes a lot of effort. We want to provide a group that you can connect with and be on mission together. You're going to be a lot stronger when there's somebody there to encourage you and spur you on to good works. That's the purpose of our rooted experience. You're going to hear more, more and more about that the closer we get to the fall, which is when we're going to roll that out. I just want, I just want to get that language out to you so that you can be prepared for it. In summary, here are three truths about the mission. The first is that the victory is already won. 
I'm not trying to encourage you and persuade you and motivate you because I think if this group is motivated enough, if they're encouraged enough, if they're educated enough, maybe they're going to do good enough to win. I'm trying to encourage you to remember that the victory has already been won at the cross of Calvary by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's truth. The second thing about the mission is that you can accomplish it. One of the most powerful things in the testimony of Scripture is God's omnipotent capacity to use broken, sinful people in accordance with His will. And that means you. Whatever the enemy brings to your mind, however defeated you might feel, whatever discouragement you may have experienced, no matter how dark the sinful seasons in your past have been, God's plan is to use you. And I like the way Rick Warren says this. There is no plan B. Can I get a witness on that? The last thing I want to mention is that the best time to start living on mission is right now. The best time... To glorify God because of the truth that you are his dwelling place and that the victory has already been won. The best time to start that is now. WFR is committed to being a place where you can connect with individuals who will work alongside you to be on and about that mission. There's got to be a higher purpose to your life, ladies and gentlemen. Punching the clock. And look, I love being a dad. So if my kids are watching, I just want them to know that before I say this, and I'm going to close. There's got to be more to life than punching a clock. There has got to be more to your life than raising a family. And you guys know I brag on my wife all the time. There's got to be more to our lives than being married. There has got to be a higher purpose because that's what God's called you to, and this is your mission. This is that purpose I invite you into that mission and purpose today. Before I pray, if you have a need in your life, maybe you realize, Trent, I am not most satisfied in God by the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you'd say that. Maybe if I asked you, what is it in your life that you most honor? The first thing that comes to mind is not the reality that you are a member of God's church, the dwelling place of God by the power of the gospel. If that's true for you, I invite you to respond. Let's study. Let's encourage each other. And let's reorient your life around the cross. And let's let that be the place that you find most satisfaction. Maybe you say, Trent, I feel too broken and messed up to really love others. The burdens I've carried in the past, my past mistakes and failures, that's a lie from the enemy. We want to surround you and uplift you and teach you God's truth about you. That yes, there is brokenness in your life, but God's victory in the cross is unlimited and applies to you. And the third thing is that we've really got to love others if we're going to be on mission. If that's a challenge for you, if there's another need in your life, I invite you to respond this morning. We want to uplift you and encourage you and pray for you. Let's bow. Precious Heavenly Father, I come before you and I thank you so much that in Christ Jesus, the victory has already been won. I thank you so much, God, that we have been called to center our lives around you and glorify you because of what you've done, because of who you are. I thank you, God, that you can use broken, messed up people like me, like all of us, and that we can share Jesus and go about making disciples. 
I just ask that you would help us as the body of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, be on mission and about that higher calling. I ask all these things in the name of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. Please stand with me while together we sing. Just as I am without.